Hey everyone, this is Jen Kesnick, and you're listening to You Be You, and I'll Be Me. And today, round two, I have Steve Storch, my good friend, and Beth Kesnick, my good daughter. Uh, thanks for coming on, Steve. You're welcome. Thanks, Beth. Yeah. Anytime. So we tried to do this last week, and some mysterious technical difficulties erased part of our talk. So thank you so much for having us come out okay. again. I appreciate it. And um, so we talked last time a little bit about um, how you and I met was through my dad, Jeff Frank, who started the Nature Lyceum, where you were uh, one of the teachers that spoke um, about biodynamics, among other things. Mm -hmm. uh, the very first time I heard you speak, it was before the uh, Mayan calendar 2012 whole okay. sitch yep. that I was pretty freaked out about at the time. But it was interesting. It was really interesting. I spoke on the calendar. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So when that was all going down, were you, I mean, I don't quite remember what you were saying, but I know it was, it was reassuring. <laughs> right. I mean, it was, it, it was interesting because I studied a guy, read a few of his books, uh, Carl Kalaman. And, you know, and... And the calendar is not just like a regular calendar because, mm -hmm. you know, it started out and each cycle was 20 times shorter. So as as you start, you know, like the first cycle was like 126 billion years. And then the preceding, then the next cycle was uh, um, well, like 26 million years and uh -huh. so and then the last couple of years of the Mayan calendar it was it was down to like in 2012 basically it was one year uh-huh and then it you know so what they explained is that it was there was more and more creation in the same amount of time going oh, on. Okay. So that's like you when know, people say it feels like time is speeding up. I don't have any time. Yeah, that it, it does feel like time speeds up. Right. Because it is. Yeah, because time is. Right. Who knows what? Who it's man-made, man. Right. <laughs> you know, and and what you know really what makes up time and like I like the first cycle microbes came around and and then there was. Uh, microbes and tribes and then familial groups and nations and that's not really the exact order but it's that those kind of uh, time periods and mm -hmm. there was also something interesting that he did it was like up until every everything up until the period of nation building he called her story Oh. And that, because it was like nurturing and the buildup yep. of these natural... And then it became his story. And then it became his story. Yeah. And it still <laughs> is his story. Maybe going back to her story soon. Should be. Or at least to balance. <laughs> We're due. We'll, yeah, at least pull, come back into balance. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. Somewhere in between. A happy medium. I know. So um, here we are here at your farm where you live with your family and uh, it's a beautiful place in Watermill, um, Green Thumb Farm. If you're in Watermill, come check it out. And 
everything here is biodynamic. It's organic and biodynamic. I mean, I do, it's hard because, you know, I do all my work on, like, outside the farm right. routine. And right, It's not really a paying job. So, you know, our practices en- engage, you know, both ideas, really. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when people say, like, you know, when someone who doesn't know says, you know, there's no difference between buying organic and not buying organic. Like, why, why do people not understand that you should eat well, organic? Or um, They don't understand because less than 1% of our country is involved in farming. Right, one. And, right. And all the people that eat, maybe less than 1% of them really care about what they eat. Right. <laughs> you know, there's that uh, resonance or repetition of things like that but um there is a big difference i mean every you know on a real organic farm all the practices of you know field cultivation and rotation and when you plow and you know when you apply all these mechanical things have a a rhythm and the time and the time for them Mm -hmm. and you know and and that's one also one of the things that makes it organic and you know like i've seen on our farm here for instance i mean they'll cover crop a field and you know things get crazy and busy and there's not you know the the weather makes things difficult sometimes and i've seen them take a field that they took like all you know the whole growing season to put a cover crop on and then it gets plowed up in the middle of the hottest day of summer yeah that you would imagine and in my in, in your, my imagination eye I could like see all the good they did just wafting away in the right. summer heat right <laughs> you know so things like that also become part of the process and look for a lot of growers it complicates it yep and um you know, the economics of agriculture add another layer of difficulty yeah. into that. You know, you work when you could work. Right. Pe- people are here on the farm working during the day, and most everybody goes home, and not everybody goes out at 7 o'clock at night to go do a job right. on the farm. It's got to get done when, when, the, when the schedules yeah. comes up and people are working. Exactly. Uh, you know, those those are the things that kind of make, I think, farming unique is that somebody could make their own hours mm-hmm. and do jobs, you know, when the sun and the moon say they should be done. Just like the song, turn, turn, turn. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time for every purpose. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, people I don't think realize, like, how connected... Um, it all is, you know, to the moon and uh, the seasons and the cycles and the planets. And, you know, it's all so interesting when you start to learn about it and start to get into it. And when you start to see it, a couple of years ago when I went, was in Africa, I think it was, I think it was this, the second time I went back. I went the first time in like February and then I went back in September. Mm-hmm. Now, September was 
the dry season. Oh. And it was dry. Like here, you know, you see out in the sky there how it's kind of gray yeah. on a day like today. Yeah. From the moisture in the air. Well, in Africa, the sky is brown from the dust coming oh, off the weird. desert. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's how hot and big right. and dusty. That's wild. It is. Yeah, it was very wild. So I was there for a few days, and it was very dry and very hot. And and maybe the third, third or fourth day I was there, we were driving to the farm, which was like 20, 20 miles from where I was staying. And I'm just looking at everything. And the day before, I mean, all the trees, everything looked like it was like, ready to catch on fire yeah just yeah. combust and then right so the next day we went back and i'm looking at it and it looked like it rained and i have you know i keep a stella natura calendar i brought one with me because we were doing that kind of work which shows you like the moon cycles and yeah. the moon and the astrological zodiac sign and how it moves through the constellations and but that day that it went from being totally dried up to being looking like it rained, it was perigee of the moon that day, which means that it's it was close. Uh-huh. You know, the moon, uh, or you know, rotates around, orbits around in a an elliptical. So there's apogee is far away and perigee is close, and just by being in perigee, it pulled. You know, the, it's pulling on the Earth. The water forces are being pulled upon more. Right, and so that's, you know, how we see here on the east end, the moon affects the ocean and the tides and all that. Right. So it even it does there, even though there's not a lot of water. Right, and then you know, and I you know been watching the calendar for years, and you know, you know, watching the rhythms of rain, and you know whether the moon is new moon or full moon, mm -hmm. it's always there. Right, and I found that really it's much more significant the apogee and the perigee. That's cool. I didn't even know yeah. about that. Yeah. If you look at that, I can go through the I go through the calendar like a few months in advance. Yeah. And I mark the days where I think it's going to be rain. Mm. Could, chances of rain are higher. Mm -hmm. And if I have... It's better you know, than the farmer's almanac. Well, that's kind of <laughs> how they do it. Right. And they pull in other, cons you know, other uh, cosmic situations like planetary alignments and stuff work on weather and there's longer periods yeah you know like that might be you know periodicity of storm and things like that could be easy, more easily predicted maybe that's how they do it because that was one thing i do i take the almanac and overlay it on the stella natura and write down that little poem uh-huh and like boom when it said rain or cold it it, it was, really it was. was. It really was. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It's um, pretty cool. And last time we were talking, um, we were mentioning that um, here on your place, organic, you do your own vortex, you built your own vortex brewer that you invented mm -hmm. that kind of simulates uh, natural rushing water. And you do that, um, these preparations, and create these uh, brews, right? Mm -hmm. That you use here, but you also sell and you apply to other people's properties and things like that. Right. Um, and that 
just explain how you created the vortex and what it simulates. Okay, well, the vortex brewer came out through my study of Steiner's... Rudolf Steiner. Uh, Rudolf Steiner's agriculture course, because he recommends, you know, stirring, creating a vortex in one direction with a stick and a bucket yep. or a barrel and then reversing it. And then I also studied Victor Schauberger's work, and he had some images in there showing, you know, uh, how to vortex water and and uh, utilize, you know, different egg-shaped vessels and that kind of thing. So, And does sunlight getting in, in there have anything to do with it, or does that matter when the sun hits the water? Sunlight could be a beneficial thing. I mean, like if you're using well water, right? A lot of people feel it's good to solarize it, expose it to the sun for yeah. some hours before it's drunk, or you know, utilized in in the field spray. Um, a couple a while ago, you wrote something that I thought was pretty interesting. That like when we were kids you'd look up in the sun and it would be a big yellow ball. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember even, you know, drawing a sun and it was always a big yellow ball with the orange and yellow, you know, sunbursts and, and I draw little sunglasses on it. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned, like, you look up now and, and it's like platinum. It's like mm -hmm. white. Right. Why is that? Well, it's funny. That kind of information kind of came through through, like not mystically, but some guy was talking about it, and he was saying that when it was yellow, it actually was burning hydrogen, ah. and now it's burning more helium, and that's why there's that change. Because that's what we're emitting? What, well, I don't know what's going on, yeah. whatever the sun is, you know <laughs> what I mean? but, it's, you know, there's climate change yeah. happened on the sun, you know, right, so, right, right, um, it is pretty wild. It's very wild. Yeah, just right? noticing all and, these things. You know, I mean, with everything that's going on on the earth, and they talk about climate change, they're just trying to blame it all on human beings. But there's like a major planetary body uh -huh. that affects us in a huge way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's changed in 50 years. Right. And it's a major factor. It's not just, you know, people driving around in their SUVs. It's. Right. A lot of things. But like we were kind of saying, it's like one group of scientists gets paid to say these are the facts and one group gets paid to say, no, these are the facts. So it's hard to figure out, like, who to believe. Right. You or know, you have to make a, your own conclusions. You have to do your own research. Exactly. Trust no one. You know, it's, <laughs> like I, it's like I was reading this article and it was, you know, it. It was a good piece of journalism because you know you can go th you go through like a very broad subject with connected ideas, and they were talking about why, you know, what was going on that started World War One. Mm -hmm. Now the leader of Germany was Kaiser Wilhelm, the leader of Russia was Tsar Nicholas, and the leader of England was King George. Now, these guys are all three cousins through oh. Queen Victoria. Okay. First and third cousins. And... That's a red flag. That's a big red flag <laughs> in, in, in the leadership world. But anyway, um, 
they had been mining nitrates, which is like bird and bat guano from all over the world, for use as fertilizer. Uh-huh. You know, from the Industrial Revolution, so like 1750, 1850, into the World War One was the early 1900s, the population doubled or went up by a billion people every hundred years. Got to make the workers. And feed them. Yeah. So they were feeding these people with this resource that was very finite. And they, Europe knew that they were going to run out of food and that all these people were going to starve. Wow. So, you know, they had a war that killed, what, 40 million people? Just enough to feed the rest. And, and, and at that, right about that, in that time period, uh, this guy Haber, from a German scientist, figured out how to make, pull nitrogen out of the air like with an electric piazzo spark or something and boom he'd do this process and drip ammonia out at the end and Germany whose you know England was a a globalist Mm -hmm. mentality and Germany was nationalist and you know so Germany said we're just going to feed all people and get really strong and conquer everybody take over the world you know and of course they didn't like that idea so they got involved in in the fighting but you know it and even now we you know it's part of our weather problem that nobody's talking about is that you know all this nitrogen that got used up and wafted out of the earth yeah is making these nitrogen clouds I mean, the air is 80% nitrogen, but the nitrogen that gets used in agriculture and then it gets, you know, it's it's not, you know, it's chemical nitrogen. Right. It's not like nitrogen based on, you know, compost and microbes and life forms like that. So it all just wafts out of the ground. Yeah. And it forms these nitrogen clouds. And what do they look like? Well, it... Like the other night, I don't know, about a month ago, I was. The sun went down, and there was no moon, and I just couldn't believe how light the sky was. Right. And those are noctilucent clouds. Those are nitrogen clouds uh, that sit up in the in the stratosphere. Amazing. Yeah, and now you know the the big problem with nitrogen, besides what's in the air, is being in clouds. If if that stuff starts to come down in rain and into the oceans, it could cause these, you know, incredible algae blooms. There's oh, a yeah. species of algae that feed on nitrogen. Right. I think Gracilaria, and there's a potential like that, the whole... And how does that affect human beings? I mean, how does it affect us? Like, does it affect um, our health or our moods or... Well... Yeah, it it could it's gonna it it could turn into a health effect if it if it ends up coming down in rain into the oceans and there's microbe blooms because Gracilaria was actually the microbe that turned like in the plagues oh. of Egypt yeah, turns the water red. <laughs> okay. You know, it's it's a like there's the brown tide and the blue green algae blooms. Right. Gracilaria is red. So it'll, it could turn the water like blood. Ugh. And then, you know, you get these massive blooms, and then they, you know, when they 
go through their life cycle and die off and, you know, settle to the bottom, they consume all the oxygen. And then everything that's living on this layer of the bottom just dies off, which is the problem we have in Peconic Bay when they had those yeah. algae blooms and everything settled and it killed the bottom. And, you know, the bottom of any lake or bay, you know, the benthic health, is what determines the health of the water column. Right. So yeah, I remember swimming in the bay as a kid, and there was eelgrass everywhere and tons of crabs and mm -hmm. horseshoe crabs and fish and everything, and now it's just there's nothing in there. Right. So it's even, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty sad situation. And if you think that when Europeans first came to this continent, you could drink out of every place you found fresh water yeah river stream lake you could drink it oh my gosh we wouldn't even like fathom <laughs> yeah. that like no. i don't want to put my face in that you don't even <laughs> want to put your foot in it yeah right so, so you know so we, sad we've gone astray is it too late can we get back oh absolutely nature is very resilient resilient and regenerative but you know the water is polluted because the land is polluted Right. You can't behave this way on the watershed. Yeah. And not face the consequences. And, and, and you know, the homeowners, you know, my dad used to say all the time, like, homeowners do more um, harm than, you know, even a golf course sometimes because they don't, A, they don't know what they're doing half the time, so they're pouring chemicals into their own um, properties. Or, you know, like we were saying that you still see those little yellow... Mm -hmm. You know, we just sprayed pesticides here. Don't. It, it, you know, we got a letter in the mail the other day warning us. Oh, the neighborhood yeah. notification? Like, oh my God, no. What if I don't want you to do that? <laughs> Too bad? Yeah, just be out of the house. It's crazy. Well, I've, I don't know. This past month, you know, I've see, I see these people walking around and they're dragging their dogs on these walks. Yeah. And like walking them right on the side of the road past the yellow right. warning thing. And then, you know... So I feel sorry for the dog, and I, I just stop, and I say, excuse me. <laughs> but, you know... Yeah. I like your dog. Don't I kill like, it. I really like your dog, and you're wearing flip-flops, and you see that little yellow sign there, and, and even if it's not there, all of these patches of grass outside people's hedge to the side of the road that the town lets them take care of... Right. Right. Because I tried to get them. I'm like, how could you, how could you like, this is, this is the commons. Right, yeah. This is like where I'm supposed to, if I want to like pull over on the side of the road. Right. And sit on the grass and eat my lunch. Right. And take a nap. I could do that. Yeah. But not if they put these chemicals down. Right. And, what, you know, they're, they're, well, what do you want us to do? <laughs> I don't know. That's your job. I, I used to work for you this, know? uh personal care product company that, um, you know, promoted safe and healthy products and all that. And one of their things that they used to say is that if you put a penny or a clove of garlic in your shoe and walk around for a couple hours, you're going to start to taste copper or garlic in your mouth like mm. two hours later. So mm -hmm. that's how quickly the conduit from the bottom of your foot goes throughout your whole system. Mm -hmm. So if you're walking barefoot in the summertime on chemicals or your kids are or your dogs are, then you know, mm. you're getting that. You're pulling right. that into you. Right. That's not good.
That's not good. So Beth, you are doing something um, with Columbia. Um, tell us about what you're doing. I am getting my master's at Columbia in journalism. And right now I'm writing, my beat is the environment. Cool. And I am, my first story I did was actually about the Gowanus Canal. Uh-huh. And then I wanted to profile Steve Storch. Right. Good choice. And, um, and I'm also looking into doing a piece on community garden, gardens and urban farming throughout Manhattan. Oh, that's cool. And I actually connected with Gil Lopez. Okay. So I learned about Hogshead Branch uh-huh. in Long Island City. Right. And I think I'm going to meet with him this week. Cool. And get to see kind of what he does over there. He has a good amount of space in Long Island City, I think. So, Excellent. It's an interesting spot because it's just, I think there was an old railroad line. Oh, really? So they're in the old right-of-way. Which is and it they you know it's really cool yeah, to see that is people really cool. that you know they come and they work and they got compost piles and they got fruits and berries and strawberries and veggies and yeah they said a lot of the things they grow ends up going to like the local farmers markets in the city and mm-hmm. um, people give them to like food banks and right. different stuff like that so. But what a nice thing to have in the middle of the city. You yeah, know, and like they're a, a becoming even more popular. Yeah. Like, they're sprouting up everywhere. Well, as people become more and more aware, I think, you know, like, not only when you connect with the earth uh, on a, you know, with your hands and your feet or whatever, that it, you know, just grounds you, but also it's just so gratifying and nice to grow your food. Well, you even breathe better and... You know, you need some green around you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was interesting because they, they somebody got involved with the community gardens and they went around and they, like, cataloged all the vacant lots. Mm-hmm. And then they would, like, start to send the people letters, you know, look, you're not doing anything with your land. Can we use it for this now? And then, and, and then through that, you know, maybe some of the, a lot of them maybe... Uh, got bought by the city so they stay gardens yep and I actually was going to write an article about um, de Blasio's affordable housing that he's building up because it's kind of affecting the green space oh really and there's fights over lots and you know what can be affordable housing what can be green space so yeah interesting well Manhattan definitely needs affordable housing but uh Green space is important, too, and not just, you know, Central Park, but places where you can grow food. Yeah, and I think for a lot of um, the communities in Brooklyn and in the Bronx, um, people, you know, come from all over the world, obviously, but they then start to grow, like, their home kind of mm-hmm. vegetables and fruits, mm-hmm. and it's a place where they can kind of gather, too. So I think it's it's an interesting Thing. Now, Steve, growing up Coney Island, yeah. So obviously, it's on the water, so you could be interested in like what you were saying uh, before marine life and stuff. But did you have an opportunity to do any kind of gardening or farming or anything like that there, or you weren't introduced to that till later on? Yeah, not really. I mean, we had a nice yard, right? That I was hit up to work in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mow the lawn. Yeah, the old push reel mower. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Boy Scouts, outdoors, not really, you know what, I didn't, I didn't even really think about farming till after I got married. Uh-huh. And it was on this farm here, and I didn't really think about where my food came from. Yeah. Ever. Right. Ever. Isn't that funny? It's very funny. Changed your whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In so many ways. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and that whole food system is really... People are becoming more aware of it and looking into it. That's really something everybody should put some time into to study Absolutely. and see how that works. Absolutely. What, what you're involved in. What are you ingesting? Yeah. How is it grown where, or raised? How, where. Yeah. Yeah, what was the documentary you just watched? Oh, yeah, um, What the Health. Oh. It was really good, but, you know... And, you know, they, they give it a little, like, hopeful ending. But throughout most of it, I'm like, what is left to eat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> um, but it was it was very eye-opening. And just the fact that um, all of these major big businesses are major contributors to the Diabetes Institute, American Cancer Institute, American Heart Association. Mm. So they take money from these ginormous companies that are funding their study Mm -hmm. so you know i think like there's um on a cholesterol website it's like brought to you by the incredible edible egg and it's like well wait shouldn't you not be eating eggs and they're like we're not talking to you and like hanging up on the guy and it's but it's just so crazy how it's all about money it's just so frustrating right you know it's like who's going to be the first one to be like call the emperor on his new clothes right (laughs) Nuts, but interesting. It is. Yeah, it's it's you know I don't know it's you, people just have to get involved with their lives. Yeah, get involved. <laughs> don't. I think for so long um, we've let like like somebody smart you know will figure this out and we'll just go about our business right. and go about our day, but I think with what's going on now, it's making everybody say, "Hold on, wait a minute, I need to get involved and be responsible and accountable." for myself at least, and know what's going on. Right. Which is a good thing, essentially. Very good thing. And, you know, that it, it all leads to, and it leads you to other places. You know, you could end up on a community garden in the city. You could end up saying, let's go retire and buy a farm upstate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, learn about the work. I mean, you know, the development of agriculture let people get out of that life. Right. And, you know, take a... And a lot of that was driven by the Industrial Revolution. If they were able to figure out a way to feed everybody and get more people off the farm to run their machines... Yeah. You know, they be- it was beneficial. Let's make this artificial food that'll yeah, feed was, more people. Yeah, it was down stream it was beneficial for the uh, industrialists for the masses and then the masses just do what the, the masses do you yeah know? yeah you know they don't you know you find out how easily controlled we are oh yeah through things like economy and food and water and everything everything we just take for you know, granted it's like I was re- reading this article about how the United States is putting in all these 
drone bases in Niger. Mm. And that's the country I was in in Africa. So I sent it to my friend from there and said, what's, what's behind this? Right. And he said, water. They're looking for water with drones. No, they, they just, that's just an excuse to be there. But the desert under Niger is water everywhere. Oh. Like, you know, like on one part of his farm, he had these wells dug that were like 250 feet deep. Mm -hmm. But he said there's other places where it's like three feet down because of how the sand has moved. And boom, you dig a little hole and there's water. Oh, wow. That could change everything for Africa. Well, it, yeah, if, you know, like he's got this thousand acre piece of property. There's no power grid out there. So we can't just dig a well and put a pump in. Right. He's right. got to, you know, put a generator in and a big, you know, it's like 50 grand just to get some water out. But, and I'm, you know, it was crazy because I was looking at the, where they dug a well. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there's like all the, it's 250 feet deep. Yeah. And like, ah, you're not digging that with an excavator. Who dug yeah. that? Right. And you, they didn't have like one of them clamshell yeah. buckets on a crane. And the way they did it was, you know, they put in these rings and they were metric. Like, I don't know, you know, those septic yep. rings we have, like yep. three foot, four foot, six. It was like maybe four, between four and five feet, maybe, you know, five or maybe five feet tall. And... We put in a compost pit, you know, in the ground, and they brought the mold for one uh -huh. of those things, and they made the, mixed the concrete and made the mold right there. And that's how they did the well. They'd make, put the thing in place, dig it down so it fell down. Okay. And then just keep putting more on top? And they kept putting more on top, because I could see, like, outside that casing... Everything was dumped, like, right there. And it was kind of puzzling for a while. And I was like, and that's how they did it. You know, somebody down there filling a bucket. Oh, my gosh. Wow. 250 feet. 250 feet. Five feet wide. Oh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I would be claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah. Among other things. Yeah. That like, is uh, crazy. But, you know, when you need water, you'll do what you got to do. Hey, you know, at least it was cool down there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, shady. But um, it's pretty fascinating. Wow. Yeah, and, it is. And, you know, a lot of, like, China is buying a lot of land now. In Africa. So wild. And, you know what, in, in anticipation for a period of global cooling... Uh -huh. And a lot of that area will be much more arable for farming. Opposite of warming. Right. Cooling. Right. So, yeah, that's all so crazy. But um, going back to um, the Nature Lyceum, the school that uh, Dad started, um, it was always interesting who came and who talked. And it was always a different kind mm -hmm. of mix. And as we were saying before, like, once you graduated, if whatever your expertise was in once you were a green gorilla graduate you could come back and teach your part mm -hmm. and um I always remember being scared of because <laughs> some of it's scary to talk about you know I mean like I I know that uh 
my, I used to get like, Dad, don't say that in front of the kids, you know, and he'd be like, well, when we run out of food and we all starve to death, I'd be like, John, stop. Um, but that, I think his name was Glenn. Mm-hmm. Was it Glenn? That used to be like, you know, start a garden in your own house or your, your own property and make it like a communal garden with your neighbors because when your neighbors are starving to death, they will kill you for your food. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know. But it's good to know how to do that. It's good to know how to do it just in case. <laughs> um, but still so, even though those moments were scary, still so much... Um, information and you walked out of there after two days like just feeling like you went through a little magical magical meat grinder yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) like so inspired and ready to go and I'm so happy that I got to take the class a couple times and that um I went through one class with two friends of mine who you know like probably like six years ago but to this day you know, we still talk about it. Mm. And I know like when, you know, my friend Kathleen, um, does, she does the click, click noise of, you know, dad changing the right, right, right. poster boards <laughs> <laughs> still, you know, and it just makes us laugh every time she does it. Uh-huh. And so it's great memories <laughs> of all that. And I'm so glad that, you know, we got to be exposed to people like you and Suzanne and mm-hmm. everyone who, uh, who I learned so much from, um, and, Dad's definitely around, hanging out somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was such a great format because, like, sometimes I'll go and give a talk someplace and they're like, what do you, you, what, what do you need? What kind of technology do you need? I said, no, I'm just going to talk. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a blackboard, that's a good technology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I've done that a few times. You go and then... You know, there's no compatible technology with your disk and people. I'm like, forget that. Yeah. You know, I mean, okay. I can't depend on that. Right. I'll just talk and they but can I, listen. Right. Well, I know, like, now you can just carry this thing around and just plug it in and you have, like, a whole presentation. But things go wrong with that. As we know. Yes. Since last right. week, our so attempt number two. It, yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was always, I, I really feel it was so powerful because it was, like, a very tangible like streams of consciousness yes kind of feel Mm -hmm. and it's cool to gather um amongst you know people who are working at a high vibration and trying to do something good for each other and Mm -hmm. you know everybody's in a good mood and you know it's just nice to gather around like that right you know if we could do that everybody would be happier and nicer people uh, what are you working on next, Beth? I am going to work on some community gardens. Okay, stuff. cool. Yeah. Learn more about that and just educate people. Excellent. On it. <laughs> what um what are you gonna create a website or Yes. So um this website called Medium is actually a free kind of online platform uh-huh. and I'll post my articles to that with photos and different soon to come soon to come okay i'm just getting it all together i gotcha um well steve i really appreciate you letting us come back round two and i'd love to have you on again anytime surely can we fill in all the blanks exactly (laughs) (laughs) everything talk about anything 
You're an interesting person. So thank you. You're welcome. And uh, if you like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes. You be you and I'll be me. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Peace.